I've given up on the idea of understanding how people come to certain conclusions. And this is really in the world of polling and in rankings. And as you know, you've got the runoff election today with Senator Raphael Warnock, Democrat of Georgia, going up against the Republican Herschel Walker. And I have not talked thing one about this. I have no idea who's going to win or who's going to lose. Uh, they've been talking about how Herschel Walker needs 60% of the day of votes, meaning the votes done today, 60% of them, to have victory because early voters uh, go uh, for, for Democrats. Republicans need to learn the lessons regardless. You have to have early voting. You got to have ballot curing. You got to have mail-in balloting. You got to ballot harvesting. You have to do all the things that the left is doing. I get it. I'm with you. It is wrong, and it leads to opportunities for fraud. But they're doing it, and it's legal. So you can't just say, well, we're not going to do those things. You have to compete as these people are competing. If you don't do it, you will continue to lose. Well, Tony, they're cheating and they're stealing. Dude, a lot of messed up things are happening. I'm telling you how to obtain levels of victory. They're doing things you're not doing because you want to say that it's wrong. I agree with you. And now you got to go do it. Well, it's wrong, Tony. You're not listening once again. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. Find everything. TonyKatz.Locals.com. When you have your Secretary of State's, Secretaries of State, there it is. When you have the Governor's Mansions, you will do away with all of these things. And then again, everything will be on an even playing field and people will vote as we can discuss honestly, proper. And you will eliminate great opportunities for fraud and for ballot stuffing and all these other things. But as long as it is lawful, you have to fight the way they fight. And if you want to argue that with me, uh, enjoy losing. No, no, no. Talk about, talk about your candidate and talk about how it was stolen and, and enjoy losing. Me, I'm, I'm interested in fighting for a victory. That's my interest. I don't mind fighting. I want to win. But this came out. Who in the world did this? The Center for Legislative Accountability. Who, who in the world is this? This uh, is a study that examined all 7,400 state lawmakers from all 50 states, including over 265,000 individual votes across 3,500 different bills introduced in state legislatures. So they took a look at this and they came up with the 50 state legislatures ranked most to least conservative. Now, at the bottom of the list is Massachusetts, Hawaii, Rhode Island, California, Maryland. That was from 50th to 46th. Exactly what you would expect. Vermont, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Oregon. There you go. That's your bottom 10. Nevada, Colorado, Delaware, New Mexico, Illinois. Illinois comes in at 36th. 37% of conservative. And then it goes from there. What's interesting is that in state legislatures, Texas is 26th, 58%. Basically tied with Michigan at 58%. So let me give you the top 10, if I could. West Virginia is 10th. Iowa at 9th, both tied at 69%. 
Wyoming and Idaho are tied at 8th and 7th. Florida and Arkansas, 6th and 5th. South Dakota, 4th. Tied with Tennessee at 73%. Indiana, with number one being Alabama, 74% of lawmaker votes cast for the conservative position. This group, the CLA, is part of the uh, ACU, the American Conservative Union. So, you know, CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference, all that stuff. Indiana is third, tied with Tennessee. I should really say second tied with Tennessee. Man, I think I may have a different definition of conservative. Because if I was going to say anything about the legislature, the General Assembly in the state of Indiana, part of the issue is that they don't play conservative. They play, uh, hell, I don't even know what I'd call it. I don't know what I'd call it. Now, let's be as, as honest as humanly possible on the subject. We have seen them cut income taxes, and we say, good. But we've also seen them raise gas taxes, and we've said, what? Now, I argued at the time, look, if you tell me that infrastructure needs redoing, you did these roads 80 years ago, you're the crossroads of America, you've got trucks the size and scope of which you never dreamt of, riding on roads, riding on bridges, you need to repair things, you need to replace things, that's going to cost money, it's now or later, let's just do it now and get it done with. Seems to me that never gets done. Seems to me we, we talk about things, but they don't get done, and then you need another dollar, and the money that we raise doesn't seem to go to the right spot, and it ends up in the wrong fund, and onward and onward and onward. It becomes a major, major issue. And I agree that we engage some wasteful spending. And then we are the state where the General Assembly said, hey, we should protect young girls in sports, and our governor said, no, nah, I'm going to veto that. Now, maybe... If we're talking about just what the General Assembly did, that's a conservative position. Also, the human position to protect these girls in sports and allow them to compete at their highest level. But I have a governor who's like, nope, nope, nope. The IHSAA, uh, the High School Sports Association, they take care of this and we don't see any problem. Well, for that alone, it's hard to consider Eric Holcomb a conservative. But maybe that's where I'm having the issue. There's a difference between Indiana Republicans and what the legislature has done. Even though I can go to specific instances in the legislature and go, is this really conservative? Which makes me wonder what in the bloody world is happening in these other places. Or is this really about size? The Republicans have a supermajority in the House and a supermajority in the Senate. I have argued I would rather they didn't. I know, I know, it's very, very strange. I would rather they didn't have a supermajority. I think they'd fight harder. I think the supermajority makes them soft. I, uh, maybe I'm totally on an island. Maybe everybody's with me. Um, I want these people to be stronger. Now, maybe I'm get, being a little too harsh. Did they or did they not say, hey, Governor Holcomb, you can't sit there and just say, you know, emergency declaration after emergency declaration. We have rights and we're going to sue for our rights and a court didn't go with them. 
but they did push back and maybe I got to start giving them more credit. Now that I break this down, maybe just maybe they are a conservative majority. Maybe we do have a conservative legislature here in the state of Indiana. So why is it that if you were to ask me about the Republicans in the state, I'd go, meh. Where's the strength? Where's the vigor? Where's the push? Where is it? That's the question. That if we can go through it, and you just heard me play these things out, I, I, it just came up, and I'm like, hmm, wonder, I, I want to get into this. And so I started doing it right here, right with you. I'm like, okay, I can point to some things that they've done, but why do I have this very, very meh feel about the Republican Party? Why, why is that? And I, and I, you you realize a uh, there there is an extent to which you have to discuss marketing. You do you do you do have to discuss it. They don't present as strong. They don't present as focused. They don't present as um, visualizing the better tomorrow, which is so strange, because either I'm totally off base. In, in, in my assessment, or I'm dead on with my assessment. And maybe it's because you, you see mayors, and I'll talk locally for a minute in the central Indiana area, whether you're talking about Jim Brainerd or you're talking about of Carmel or, or Scott Fadness out of Fishers. And you see the levels of wokeness that go on and, and how Brainerd has bought into green this and green that and getting rid of car lanes so they can put in bike lanes, which is just wrong. Cars are, uh, roads are for cars. And then you can find room for bikes. I'm not anti-bike. I just want cars. I want traffic to be able to move. And you take a look at some of the things Fadness has done and, and his takes on, for example, the, uh, uh, the, the vaccine, et cetera. And you're like, what... Where's the, where is the, uh, you know, live free kind of concepts and theories? But I just played for you uh, through, through my talking there, played out for you some of the things going on in the General Assembly where you're like, good on them. So maybe we got to be able just to engage a little more clarity on that subject. Maybe the party is doing solid work, but there are key players who are failing us. And maybe we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Maybe we need to spend more time in that clarity in, in, or engaging that clarity, discovering that, uh, pushing that, uh, demanding it. So we know whom we are speaking about when we say this party, man, they are not up to it. I had to go through it with you to get to a place of, okay, maybe they are in places doing work. But we see the spending from a guy like Senator Todd Young, or we see uh, the level of uh, of kind of meh from uh, Senator Mike Braun. We see what, what Governor Holcomb has done. People, when we talk about the party in Indiana, maybe they have been strong. Maybe they deserve a little more credit. Maybe. Let's see what they bring this year in terms of reducing taxes. Then... All right, that's, a, that's the thing of mine. Oh, and I had people yelling at me because of my property tax take. How are you going to pay for everything, Tony? If you get rid of property taxes, why don't you get over yourself? That, someone left me a message telling me to get over myself. You want to get rid of property taxes. 
Listen to me very carefully. Property taxes state that you don't actually own what is yours. You don't own a house. The state owns the house. Because if you don't pay your property taxes, you don't get to keep it. And what I said is, that's wrong. Get rid of property taxes. I never said you couldn't have other taxes. Tony, property taxes is how we, we fund schools. Maybe you need to come up with another system. Because it's wrong to tell somebody that if they don't pay the VIG, then they're not able to keep their home. I didn't know that that was some far-fetched theory. This is the state coming to collect from you their bitch. You got a nice house here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. That's what they do with property taxes. Get over it. No, no, no. I'm dead on it. Why don't you start thinking, whoever it is that left me that message and any of the other messages I've received, all I'm stating is that if you own property, you should absolutely be able to own it and it shouldn't be under threat of government takeaway because you haven't paid what they decided was a proper amount of money for the pleasure of owning. But if you want to have use taxes or, or luxury taxes, I'm not saying no. If your city or municipality wants to uh, engage taxation, they're more than welcome to. And then you can vote for it or not vote for it, etc. I oppose the idea of property taxes because it's saying you don't own what's yours. And I would love to see a state like Indiana rework the entire concept. I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm going to double down on that one. But maybe this General Assembly is doing better than we think. Maybe... Maybe we got to give the legislature a little more kudos. Just possibly that's the case. More to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. I honestly have no idea what Tom Tillis is thinking. I don't know why he's pushing this legislation with Senator Kirsten Sinema about immigration and about uh, dreamers and a pathway to citizenship. I'm opposed. I remain opposed. Because we're not focused on first things first. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Find everything, tonycats.locals.com. I am not so opposed to the idea that you're going to say these people were brought here as children, as babies. They, they didn't know they were breaking the law. What do you want to do with them? I am not opposed to asking that question and seeing if there is indeed an answer to that question. I'm opposed to the idea that you would answer that question before answering the question of how you secure the border and how you prevent illegal immigration to the very best of your ability. First things first. That's my take. You have to start by saying we don't allow illegal immigration. You have to start by saying this isn't going to work for us. This has to be ended. And until you get a secure border, until you have real border security in terms of a, a, a wall or a fence or whatever it is you want to call it, until you have policies that state if you come into the country illegally, we send you back immediately, we do not listen to any asylum claim. Oh, I'd put an end to asylum claims. Well, Tony, some people are really escaping. Yes, yes, they are. But if they're in the United States illegally, that's that. And so we're clear, 27-year-old able-bodied men from Guatemala, I don't listen to their uh, claim of asylum. 
You go back and you fight for your country. El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Colombia. You go back and you fight for your country. You are an able-bodied man. I'll look at the women differently. Why? Because there's a difference between men and women. Can I help you? And for all the women out there who think that it's wrong for me to say this, let me mansplain it to you just a little bit further. Able-bodied men need to fight for their nation. They're not allowed to run. That is what I'm saying. This mansplaining brought to you by Tony Katz today. Tony Katz today, just speaking truth since, well, the day I was born. Mansplaining. I'm a man and I explain things. I ain't apologizing for it. Don't be crazy. I oppose this legislation. It would give amnesty to about 2 million illegal aliens who were part of uh, DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Funny, uh, no one's allowed to get rid of this thing and now we have to act on it? It was an executive order from Biden, uh, from Obama. You should be able to get rid of it. And then judges are like, oh no, you can't get rid of it. The judge should be told to kiss off. It's gone. Next. No, no. Do whatever you want to do. I'm, the, I'm in charge of immigration policy in the United States as president. I made my decision. Shut your face. Go on. Go on, Sue. Make your little decisions. That's cute. Go get an army and stop me. Have a nice day. People are always stunned when I make that statement. They're always stunned. I'm not interested in activist judges thinking they're more important than elected officials. Now, this plan from Tillerson Cinema um, would build processing centers along the border to move things along uh, better. It would keep Title 42 in place. Title 42 was, hey, in health emergencies, you can just send people out of the country who are trying to get into the country without any hearings or anything else. So, oh, COVID, we got to keep doing this. It's not really an answer, but we're using it. It would increase Border Patrol spending by $25 billion. Until you make the statement that we don't allow illegal immigration, this is all a waste of time. Every last bit of it is a complete and total waste of time. You must state we don't allow illegal immigration. We send you back. We absolutely have zero tolerance. You have to start there. Then you can work on the other things. They didn't start there. I'm opposed to this legislation. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. So in all of the madness of Twitter, the madness of Kanye West, what did Trump say? Who's running for this? We forget that there are some bigger things happening and some extremely dangerous things happening. And these things involve how we are going to live our lives now and in the future. They're they're based and predicated on the idea that some people truly believe that they know best for us. There is a way for us, the mere people, to do things, and somehow they, because of dollars or because of position, actually believe that they know better how we should live and they want to tell us not only do they want to tell us they want to codify it they are desirous of engaging in a way that says we no longer have the autonomy for x we must do y these are the same people who believe you will have less in the future and you will be thankful tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you michael walsh joins us right now the screenwriter the author his latest book where he was the editor against the great reset 
18 theses contra the new world order and there are excerpts from the book going on at his site the pipeline the dash pipeline.org the latest green energy and the future of transportation michael it's it's always a, a pleasure you can find the book by the way against the great reset at amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold let's start with the basics what is the concept of the great reset who is klaus schwab who is bad guy number one in this conversation very much in that soros kind of vein and then what is the book trying to do good well lots of lots of things to unpack here tony and thanks for having me on uh the great reset uh is a plan by the world economic forum and it's a very public plan by the way you can go to their website at wef.com or whatever it is and see it uh, it's a plan to basically uh, take over control of the world's economy and thereby dictate how people will live in the future. Their slogan, uh, as you just paraphrased it, is you'll own nothing and be happy. <laughs> and that's an order or else, basically, is the implication. Uh, it's run by a man named Klaus Schwab, who is a aging uh, German industrialist and economist. There are some misperceptions on Facebook and Twitter and elsewhere that he is the son of a former SS officer uh, during the Second World War. But that is actually incorrect. And, and I hate to see when conservatives start spreading misinformation uh, because there's plenty to hate about him without, uh, without that misperception. Uh, he runs uh, something called the World Economic Forum. It's based in Switzerland. Every year until recently, until COVID, they would have a big meeting in Davos, which is a small village, uh, one of the highest villages in the world, actually, and certainly in Europe, uh, where they all fly in on their private planes to talk about climate change uh, and how they're going to prevent you, Tony, me, and everybody listening, from living the lifestyle that you become accustomed to as an American. It's it's a highly anti-American uh, organization, and it is pushing, pushing, pushing. It has very influential people around the world who owe their careers to it, one of whom is everyone's least favorite Canadian of all time, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. They run young, bright people through their their sort of training seminars, and uh, out they come, the other side, uh, fully formed Mussolini-style fascist. And by that I mean, and not the loaded word fascism, but the notion that industry and government should act together and enforce the rules of order. This is what the National Socialists tried to do in Germany. This is what the Italian fascists tried to do in Italy. It was the model that effectively lost out during World War II and was replaced by international communism. But as that has failed, we're back to fascism again. And here we are. So our book is uh, uh, 17 writers from around the world all of whom are pretty prominent, uh, or some very, very prominent conservative intellectual circles, taking apart each element of the Great Reset, essay by essay, to show you this is really something you don't want. 
talking to Michael Walsh. He is the editor of Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order. You can get that at Amazon.com. Uh, one of the people in this book is James Polis, who I had the pleasure of working with back in the PJTV days. I knew he was smarter than me then, and he's smarter than me now, and for that alone, it's a reason to buy the book. The website you're referring to, Michael, uh, is WE Forum for World Economic Forum. And yeah. just before we yeah. get into the piece over there at the pipeline, just to give an example of what we're talking about here, they have a whole uh, conversation about measuring stakeholder capitalism. I make the mm. argument repeatedly that anytime you put any kind of descriptor on capitalism, you're bastardizing what it is. You're no longer talking about capitalism. But this stakeholder concept is where they try and engage a socialism to capitalism by saying that even if you're not somebody financially involved or doing the actual work, somehow you deserve the results or should have a say in the thing. That's right. Uh, in fact, that's I think next week's excerpt will be a wonderful essay by Alberto Mingardi on the very concept of stakeholder capitalism. So you've just adumbrated it perfectly. The quick version of that is that uh, corporations are now not responsible, uh, fiduciarily responsible to their investors, to hell with their investors. They're more responsible to the people who live in the community, people who might use their products, people who might somehow be affected by unicorns uh, at the North Pole on a melting glacier. And so you, they have extended the sphere of corporate governance to everything rather than, you know, corporate governance. This is how evil this thing is. And this is where you get concepts of ESG, environmental social governance, and we're seeing that play out, yes. whether it's in your local town or in your state or nationwide with groups like BlackRock and et cetera. But over there at the Pipeline, which is a wonderful site, the-pipeline.org, uh, that's where, where you are the capo de tutti capo, and you are doing the excerpts from the book, and you did one on green energy and the future of transportation. This falls into the same, everything falls into the same category category about how others are going to decide how you shop they're going to decide how you eat and in this of course they're going to decide how you move and to where yes correct well the the electric vehicle of course is the classic example of it nobody wants the damn thing in the first place but it's being forced on people by places like california which is a fascist state now that will outright ban gasoline-powered cars at some point in the future. This is happening in Europe, all over the place. In my own beloved Ireland, uh, they have decided to outlaw the sale of gasoline-fired cars by some date in the future, relatively soon, within 10 years. So they want to boss everybody around. But the, e the electric vehicle, you're supposed to plug into a grid that they also simultaneously tell you is completely overwhelmed very vulnerable to terrorist attacks, as we just saw in North Carolina the other day. And so please don't plug in your car. Well, what does that tell you, Tommy? They don't want you going anywhere. And the better part about the electric vehicle is they can determine where it will go. So if you live in a world of driverless cars, which is something that Salvatore Babonis, who wrote our essay today, has brought up, you'll go where they want you to go, maybe. You won't be able to get in your car and drive to go see Grandma. That is Gone, baby, gone. Uh, you you will be dictated to in every facet of your life. And 
as you know, when they can control your transportation, uh, they control you. You're essentially under house arrest for the rest of your life. Now, I want to relate this to some other things you've done, and, and uh, whether it's your phone or something else is rubbing up against something. If you could just move it a little bit, I'd appreciate the daylights out of it. Um, sure. You're the guy who wrote The Devil's Pleasure Palace, and you followed it up with The Fiery Angels. So you're, while you have a, a screenwriting history, while you have uh, a, a history as being a music critic, you have this long, involved, kind of fascinating story. Um, you have been engaged in these conversations. You know, The Devil's Pleasure Palace, which you can find at Amazon.com. You wrote back in 2017, The Cult of Critical Theory and the Subversion of the West. All of these things that you've been writing about recently over the past five, six years involve a subversion of how we believe a, a, a free society should be engaged, how we want to live and instead are being told how to live. But it's its roots uh, in terms of how it's been able to take hold come from academia and come from the the schools of thought going back to Germany in the 30s and, 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 and other places about how you engage the manipulation of the mind to get people to believe that less is more, that bad is good, that whole 180 degree thing. How, in, in, if you could in short, how does it play yeah. out then and how do you see it playing out now as you write against the Great Reset? Well, they always use the same techniques on us, Tony. They, they tell us this is for not only for our own good, but good to the planet. This is their latest, of course, the environmentalist crazies. Uh, it's good for the planet. It's good for this. It's good for that. It's the right thing to do. Uh, this is who we are. You know, remember Obama would never stop talking about that's not who we are. This is who we are. Well, you know what? It's, it's not. That's your opinion. And you were a transient president of the United States, and now you're gone, thank God. But his his awful influence lives on in that sort of hectoring moral quasi-moral, I should say, tone, in which they want to dictate to you. Now, the question for the audience is, are you an American or are you not? Do you want to be a European-style, uh, big government, technocratic uh, cog in the machine, which is what communism and socialism and national socialism and every one of these movements that's come out of Central Europe since Marx was a baby, or do you want to be a free American who comes and goes as he pleases? Well, we've given that up very slowly, but very gradually and very distinctly since the Frankfurt School, whom you mentioned and is the subject of the Devil's Pleasure Palace, arrived in the United States in the 1930s. And their influence continues to live on. And it just it seems to be unstoppable. I, I think in the end, uh, we're going to find out that we lost the Cold War to the Soviets. It's just that they all basically moved to the West and have uh, socialized uh, Western European culture in order for it to kill itself. You see this with the declining birth rates, with huge mass immigration, that they just are unwilling to stop. And there, there's a reason for that as well. They're, they're very, very anti-Western. And obviously this fight goes back to, God knows, thousands of years, I would say, 
And we're in the middle of it, Tony. And I guess that's the lot of life for all of us is we're always going to be in, in the middle of a fight between good and evil, which is what this is. So this is where it gets kind of fascinating for me, talking to Michael Walsh. He is the editor of Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order. You can find that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order. Order that today. Perfect Christmas gift. It's that if you want to argue that these people moved to the West, these communists moved to the West, they are now engaged not with the destroying an enemy, they're engaged with destroying where they are, their own lives, their own betterments. Clearly, the mind sees one thing works and one thing doesn't, yet we see people constantly, consistently move towards the thing that doesn't work out of just this sheer radical hatred of the thing that does. Why is it that they don't learn? That's a real moral question, isn't it, Tony? So it's even a theological question. You could go back to the literary descriptions of the war between God and Satan, which we find in Genesis, for example. We find that in Milton's Paradise Lost, that some men just want to watch the world burn, as the line from Batman goes. And that's the truth. And these guys come, and they decide they will move to a safe haven and then destroy it, just for the sheer heck of it. And, and that's inconceivable to people like you and me, yet it's very much true. And, and people need to understand what this threat is. It is an eternal threat. And, you know, the price of uh, freedom is eternal vigilance. And here we are. You see it now. There's a famous law, uh, one of, uh, it's, it's actually O'Sullivan. Well, O'Sullivan's law is that any institution that's not explicitly conservative will ultimately become liberal over time. And the third law, Robert Conquest's third law, is assume that any uh, government or large institution is controlled by a cabal of its enemies, which is where we are now with the Biden administration. If you look at who he's appointed, at every step of the way, he's rubbed Americans' face in his appointments, who they are, what they stand for, what they do, what they say, what they're allowed to say, and they've systematically crushed the opposition, starting with Trump in 2020 and just the recent elections, which, of course, turned out to be radically different from what we thought they were going to be. Uh, they, they, they don't stop, Tony. They just keep on coming at you. And you've got to figure out where do you make a stand against this? Well, one of the places I've discussed is that you can't say you don't like early voting. I don't. You don't. You don't like uh, ballot harvesting. I don't. You don't like. Oh, right. you, you have to do the things. If they're legal things, you have to do the things to try and compete in the same world, and then get the power, and then you can put an end to these practices. Well, that's that's one way to do it. I've written two columns about the election, in which I've said to people on our side who are hysterical. Well, the, the election was stolen. I don't want to hear another word about a stolen election. You know why? Because the steel is built into the system. The system, as I wrote recently on the pipeline, is the steel. It's early things. It's curating. It's ballot harvesting. It's drop boxes. It's two weeks before the election, a month before the election. No, all of that has to be stopped or you will never win again. That's it. They know exactly how many votes they need. They get them in the boxes well in advance. And then uh, Trump did something that was quite foolish, which was to say, you know, everybody, you stay home until Election Day and then come out in force. At that point, the election was already lost. And 
our side has got to understand this. You clearly do. And I hope your listeners do, too. You cannot give into it. You cannot give into the stuff like ranked choice voting, which gave Alaska, a state that's 99 percent Republican, a Democrat member of Congress, because it's a way to manipulate votes legally and right in your face. And yet people don't do it. One vote, one man, one vote, one day, one time, ID only, that purple finger, paper ballots only. That's the only way you're ever going to have a free and fair election again. Purple finger, that's an Iraq reference right there. Michael Walsh, Against the Great Reset, is the book, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order. Find it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Michael Walsh, I appreciate you taking the time. I've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So tomorrow, remind me, i got to further break down this economic situation because there are enough people talking recession we got to start asking ourselves what is it going to mean how does it play out and how does it play out wall street versus midwest main street because those are two very different things and everyone's going to focus on the wall street stuff we need to be focused on the us stuff that's the stuff i'm focusing on how does it affect us and our neighbors we'll do that tomorrow find everything tonycats.locals.com tonycats.locals.com i'm tony Katz. tomorrow everyone take care